The following is a conversation with Kevin Palmieri. Kevin Palmieri is the co-founder, CFO, and co-host of Next Level University, a top 100 self-improvement podcast with over 1,500 episodes, reaching over 900,000 people in over 160 countries. However, despite all the success, and like many of us, in Kevin's mid-20s, despite seeming like he had it all, he dealt with significant depression, and when he was on the edge of suicide, he decided to go all in on self-improvement. Tune in to hear more about his story. So, Kevin, in your mid-20s, you say that you had it all, but inside you were depressed. Can you tell us why? I think I fell into the trap that many of us fall into, where I assumed that if I found many levels of external success, it would create internal fulfillment. And I, it didn't. I always liken it to when you have a door that's unlocked in front of you and you think you can find the key and you find the first key and it doesn't work and the second key doesn't work and the third key doesn't work. And eventually you convince yourself this next key is the key that will open this door. And you get that key and you put it in the door and nothing happens. It kind of breaks your spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's what happened to me. I had everything I could want. Why do I not feel good? Why am I not confident? Why am I not certain? I always say, for me, my internal world and my external world did not align. Externally, I looked really successful. Internally, I did not feel successful at all. And I think that's what really created all that conflict for me. Yeah. For sure. Do you think that at some point, and happy to kind of touch more upon this, but you were talking about keys earlier. At some point, you realized that the keys to a $500 car versus a $20,000 car versus a $40,000 car. <laughs> The car is the car. It takes you from A to B no matter what. At some point, what really matters is what it does, not what it looks like. I think it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be the guy. So it's fair. A lot, a lot of people say money doesn't buy happiness. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. Money does not buy happiness. Money does buy options and create opportunities that can create short-term happiness. Mm -hmm. So I had a $7,000 car three years ago. I have a $55,000 car today. The $55,000 car makes me happier. When I get in it, I get a dopamine rush. I'm happy. I'm more proud of it. But, and this is always the but, it did not fix anything internally. Mm -hmm. I still have to work on my confidence. I still have to work on my relationship with my wife. I still have to work on imposter syndrome. The car is not going to fix that. So, yes, it gets you from point A to point B. Some nicer and faster and more comfortable than others. But that external stuff is not going to, it's not going to fix the internal stuff, regardless of how much it is. 500,000, 500,000, I don't think it's going to fix the internal stuff that we're really after in terms of fulfillment. You know, it's a really interesting and a fair point that you bring up. And I love how there was like a slight, I don't want to say disagreement, but like kind of argument in another direction. And would love to hear your thoughts about this and kind of what I've been thinking about happiness recently and in its relation to money. Because I know it's a really hot topic these days. People are like, oh, if I had more money, I'd be happier. I'd be happier if I had more money, yada, yada. But my theory on it is, and, you know, again, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think generally people need kind of, I don't think money buys you happiness, but I think that money makes it easier to be happy. And I know that sounds like kind of the same thing contrasting, but the way I interpret it is, I think people need money or kind of resources, at least, to meet basic needs. And I think those basic needs, you know, once you have a car, once you have a house, they make it easier to do all those things that make you happy, like hang out with friends, going out to restaurants. So I would love to know your perspective in the sense that do you think that money kind of doesn't bring us happiness beyond a certain point once we have our certain basic needs met? I would say, yeah, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. 
one of the so what does money do? Money creates the opportunity to make problems go away. Mm-hmm. When you have enough money to make certain problems go away, you can focus on other things that make you happier or more fulfilled. But eventually, when you get to a certain amount of money, it actually creates more problems that you have to make go away and it requires more attention. So I I don't ever want to be the person that says money doesn't matter and don't worry about money because there's a lot of people out there circumstantially that they need more money, mm-hmm. 1,000%. There's a lot of people out there that circumstantially, they don't need more money. They have plenty of money and they're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it creates opportunity and I think it allows us to solve problems with money rather than effort and or stress, which I would say probably feels like happiness in the short run. I definitely agree with you in there. I think definitely every single person's circumstantial, it depends on their, um, but I think high level, the way I would paraphrase it and make it more concise is that money doesn't buy happiness, but it makes it much easier to be happy. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, it solves a lot of problems. If, if all of the problems that you have, so let's say, let's say this, if you have worked just a ton on your internal well-being mm-hmm. and you feel like your self-awareness is super high and you've studied yourself and your relationship is awesome, the last linchpin is not having enough money and somebody gives you a couple million dollars, that's going to save you a lot of stress, for sure, for oh. sure. So I think it would be short-sighted to assume that money doesn't, it doesn't affect us in, in that way, yeah. Yep, definitely. A dynamic conversation there, but happy we're able to kind of, you know, conversate around that. Um, back to kind of your story, you know, you mentioned that you had it all, but inside, you know, you weren't feeling as fulfilled. So when you hit that rock bottom internally, what would you say the first step was you took kind of to get back on the back on the rise to feeling better about yourself? I reached out to someone who I felt safe being vulnerable with. My rock bottom moment was sitting on the edge of a hotel bed contemplating suicide, having suicidal ideations wishing that I wasn't here because if I'm not here, my problems go with me. And the first thing I did was reach out to someone who I felt safe reaching out to. Here's the, here's the thing about that. I did that years before I ever had the suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. One of the questions I get asked so often, Daniel, is, what is how does somebody work up the courage to reach out to somebody when they're struggling? And I say, you do not build an umbrella when it starts raining. You build an umbrella long before the rain starts. I had a really good relationship with the person who's my business partner now. I felt safe reaching out. I've been practicing vulnerability with him for years before I really, really needed to use it at that level. So it's two thoughts. One, if you are in the place where you feel like you need support, who is the person that you feel safe sharing with? That's part one. Part two, if you feel like life is going amazing and you cannot foresee any issues, now is the time to start being vulnerable with the people closest to you because when it is time and when it is necessary to have that level of vulnerability, at least you will have practiced it. So when times are hard, we try to make things easier. When times are easy, we should plan for the hard. I really like the way you put that in the sense that I think, you know, no one's life is perfect. We all have issues. And, you know, if someone out there is listening to this and, you know, they don't have any issues in their life, I couldn't be more happy for them, but, you know, good for them, wishing them all the best. But realistically, the majority of us have issues. And I really like how the the perspective that you made there that we should always try to, you know, have people we can talk to when those issues aren't as severe. So, you know, 
not to get too specific in them, but if we're dealing with some kind of relationship issue or, you know, some kind of life stress issue, just have a conversation with a friend about it. It doesn't have to be crazy long, 10, 15 minutes a day. Well, yeah, I was 10, 15 minutes a week. I don't know if everyone has 10, 15 minutes a day, but something like 10, 15 minutes a week. So by the time that it can get into a more serious issue, you have someone who's a little more understanding uh, as opposed to just, you know, pretending like everything's great on the surface. And then when shit really hits the fan, you kind of need someone's help and, you know, no knock on them, but someone might not always be able to kind of take the time and talk to you. So I definitely agree with your point on that. And think, you know, it's a great perspective to have to yeah, kind of, of approach issues and avoid issues. Um, another big aspect of kind of getting back up when you're, when you're back down and I'm sure you could probably relate to this. Uh, you know, obviously we would love if we could just all go up, but realistically life kind of looks like this. It's a bit of a roller coaster. So as you were going up, how did you make sure not to get too back down when kind of you had life challenges or things unexpected thrown your way? There was a lot of necessity. Uh, there's a lot of necessity. I had a lot of accountability. And now it makes sense at the time. I didn't really understand I was doing this, but I made self-improvement. I made growth and I made this podcast part of my identity. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. I am a podcaster. People say, if I took the podcast away, what would you do? I don't know. You're not going to take the podcast away. So it doesn't matter. It's, it's my, I'm, it's not going anywhere. You can't have it. I'll die before I give it up. So the identity piece of it was big. I don't have anything else. This is who I am. I don't have a plan B. I didn't have a plan A. So this is all I have. That's part one. Part two is I have a business partner. Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of businesses that have business partners and sometimes they have fallouts and they, they don't get along. There's days that I don't want to show up but I know Alan's waiting for me. So we're recording two episodes right after this, right after you and I finish, we have two episodes to record. Mm -hmm. It's Wednesday afternoon. I might not want to do that. If I was by myself, he's going to be waiting. Same thing on the opposite end where I might send him a message and say, Hey man, we got to get our, we got to get our crap together. What are we doing here? We got to stop being late. We got to do this right. We, the audience is waiting for us. Okay. There's, there's that accountability. And then there's necessity of when I say really, and I, and I mean this, when I say I want to have the most successful podcast in the self-improvement space, I'm not just saying it. I mean that. Mm -hmm. I genuinely mean that. We just crossed our 1500th episode. I didn't do 1500 episodes to do 1500 episodes. That's because I got to do 1500 to get to 10,000. Mm -hmm. So the necessity of the goals is there. When you set goals, if you truly believe in your heart of hearts that you know how to accomplish them, then it's you deciding whether or not you want to when you mm -hmm. have the opportunity to show up. So those are really the big ones. I, it's part of my identity. It's been part of my identity. I'm the never quit kid. That's my handle on Instagram. I have never quit tattooed on my arm. I, I don't want to quit. I want to keep going. I want to be successful. I've overcome a lot. I want to keep overcoming a lot. And then here's the other thing too. The last thing I'll say, I am so fulfilled by what I do from the very beginning, Daniel, I have made it my purpose to be able to continue going. In the beginning, I just had to figure out how to make enough money to get to the end of the week. Then it was, I need to make enough money to get to the end of the month to pay rent. Mm -hmm. And then it was, if I could do this for a living, if this was my job and I was a full-time podcaster, I would be the most fulfilled human on the planet. And as that got closer and closer, I don't want to take my foot off the gas because then I'm going to lose everything I've worked for. So it's a, it's a mix of, of all of those real emotions and necessity. That's awesome. Uh, definitely on the personal note there. So I'm trying to do this uh, this podcasting thing and committed to building my podcast out. So when ideally be the best business or business story podcast out there, I think uh, this is only episode 32. So not there yet, but but on the path. So definitely great to hear about your journey and I aspire to get there one day. 
so the big commentary there, you would say to have really tangible goals and believe in your heart of hearts and then just kind of let the rest, you know, if, if you're faithful in what you're trying to do and have good faith doing it, the rest will fall into place. You got to show up. You, you have to show up every single day, regardless of the results. I said this to someone recently. I said, you're putting level five effort in five different places. You're never going to get level 10 results in any of them, mm -hmm. ever. And what's going to happen is you're going to say, yeah, I tried that, but it didn't work. Let me try something else. And that's not going to work either because you're going you're to do the same thing. You have to find the thing that, okay, let's do this. I've said this many times before. I think a lot of people have their P's in the wrong order. They mm -hmm. find something that is super profitable and they try to convince themselves that they're passionate about it. How many people get a job to save up enough money to quit the job? Mm -hmm. right? That's not necessarily a, a recipe for a fulfilling life. Yep. But the opposite of that is you find something that you are so passionate about and you make it your life's mission to make it profitable so you can do it forever. That is what I would suggest in terms of, and that would be my advice. Find something that you love so much that you would do for free that you can get to the point where you actually make money doing it, I would argue that's going to be a very happy, fulfilled, growth, yeah, growth-focused life. I love that you brought up that point because I think on a personal note, it can definitely resonate with it a lot, you know, in another lifetime. And I, I think I've mentioned this on a few podcasts, so sorry if kind of listeners are hearing this for the umpteenth time, but <laughs> in another lifetime, I wanted to work in investment banking and not to get too into the depths of the story, but it was basically rejected by every bank in New York. It was really awful. It was very upset, all that stuff. So did some introspection, thought about the kind of work I really wanted to do. Um, I knew I always liked talking to people, always like learning more about their stories and kind of hearing inspiring stories. So I thought, is there any way I could do that for a living? So then I got the idea for a podcast and then ultimately, you know, here we are today. Um, but even starting out and even today, it's not easy, but especially starting out, it was like, you know, I'm not really good at technology. I'm not really good at video editing. Like, I'm not good at all this stuff. But I just told myself, you know what? I'm just going to figure it out. I don't know how. I don't know where, but I'll figure it out. And I had a, I had my first interview with a gentleman named Charles Reed, who's the kind of the CPA accounting promoter based out of Texas. Um, and it was a solid interview. You know, I didn't do great. You could probably attest to this, but interviewing is a skill above mm -hmm. all else. It's something that you build on moving forward. Um, but, you know, started out at a very basic level and slowly started to build myself and now I'm a little bit better at interviewing, a little bit better at editing, a little bit better at all these things. And I think the big thing that I've learned is I'm really grateful. And I guess we'll see where we are in a few years, but grateful that a lot of those rejections didn't work out because uh, it got me it got me thinking to, you know, what I really wanted to do with my life. And I love doing this, just starting it out. So we'll see where it goes. But, you know, it's not easy. There's definitely hard days, but it's a lot more fulfilling than kind of doing something that you just don't see yourself doing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, of course, a hundred percent. And here's this. Here's the thing: people do this all the time. They say, "Well, I hope one day I can get to where you are." I don't even think about that. I look at the fact that when we were thirty episodes in, we weren't doing as well as you're doing right now. That's my perspective. That is that is my perspective. I don't know what the hell I was doing, my friend. I had no clue what I was doing. We I don't even know if we were recording video at that point. So. I tell people that all the time. If if it's your first episode and you're ahead of where I was in my first episode, there's no reason if you do what we did, you can't get to where we are. Mm -hmm. Why? There's no reason you can't. So I like to throw that out there. No, no problem. I appreciate that. And uh, I hope when you have your 10,000th episode, I can, I'll be invited to the 10,000th the <laughs> party. It will be a good time. Consider it done. For sure. I appreciate that. You know, I'm really happy that you brought up uh, Alan. So I'm not sure if you know this, but I'm actually having Alan on the show in January. So nice. that'll, be really that'll be a really great conversation. 
Um, but what role would you say that he's played in your life, just kind of as your business partner, as a friend, and helping you keep this thing going? Mentor. Alan has been mentoring me every single day since probably 2016. So he has taught me, yeah, almost not everything I know, but many of the things that I know, he has taught me. I must say humbly, I've learned almost everything I know about business from him, a lot about speaking from him. He has been the mentor that I did not know I needed, but I have been grateful to have every single day for the last seven years, eight years almost now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's great to hear. I'll definitely make sure to bring that up when I have him on, but I appreciate the shout out to Alan there. Uh, another thing regarding your story, you know, as you were kind of on the come up and as you were building this out and something you touched upon earlier was just, you know, trying to figure out what you were doing or figure out how to get this thing going. When you had those hard days, how were you able to stay consistent and show up every day and put in that effort instead of being like, you know what, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. I'm just, you know, not good enough for this. Back then, hard days were not hard due to workload. They were hard due to circumstances and lack of success. Mm -hmm. The Sometimes the natural tendency when you're not successful is to run in the opposite direction of success. When in reality, you're moving towards success. It just doesn't seem like it. So it usually was having a conversation with Alan, having a conversation. In the very beginning, I lived with my other best friend, Matt, who's also, he's a real estate investor. So he's an entrepreneur. He's a dream chaser as well. We would just have conversations about how bad it sucked. We would just have conversations about yeah, I, I kind of miss what I was doing before. I know I didn't like my job and I know it was terrible for my mental health, but I, mm -hmm. I, I don't miss the, the $2,000 paychecks. That was nice. Mm -hmm. So we would kind of just, we would vent to each other. We would vent and say, yeah, this really sucks. And then we'd try to make, we'd try to make fun and, and have a good time and laugh about it and then just try to get up the next day and, and do something with it. And, and this is the other thing too. We had Lori Harder on our podcast. I think she was episode 34, maybe. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, consistent 70% days are way more powerful than spotty 100s. When I have a bad day, I just think to myself, I can do more in two hours today than I used to be able to do in a full day. So look, you don't feel like doing it. Do a little bit more than you feel like doing. Doesn't have to be everything, but do a little bit more than you feel like doing. And then tomorrow, you're probably going to feel a little bit better. That's kind of my thought process now, where some days I, I still have days where I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it, but I can do more in a couple hours than I used to be able to do in a day. Do that and then just do a little bit more, just 1% more, and then maybe seek rest, relaxation, or recovery. I love the way that you put that. I think that's a beautiful quote, and I think something I definitely won't forget now. I think, you know, people... It's hard to kind of state this because it's kind of a loaded topic, but I think a lot of times, you know, with social media, people see these people building really successful companies or they see people building lives and, you know, they try to have in their mind, okay, I'm going to give 100% for a week and then they burn out. But I think yeah. they burn out for primarily two reasons. One, they're doing something that they don't love. Or two, even if they're doing something they love, they want it to work overnight. And like, you know, <laughs> when they're like, oh, this isn't working, something's wrong with me. So I think that the beauty in the quote that you just said is that, you know, if we're ideally, we can have 100% days once in a while, but you know, we're humans, we're not machines, we, we, we cannot uh, really go 100%. But if we can give 70%, you know, of our energy or 70% of, you know, the work every single day, I think that consistency over time will build up. So I think it's definitely, um, you know, a really valid thing that you said there for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Lori, Lori said it. So I got to give her credit. Shout out to Lori Harder. Awesome. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned kind of talking to your friend is that you were able to be vulnerable with each other. 
how important would you say that vulnerability is for kind of entrepreneurs or just business owners out there? And why do you think a lot of people have trouble being vulnerable? At the end of the day, vulnerability is truth. Mm-hmm. And when you're not vulnerable, you can't live in the truth. So nobody, nobody really knows you unless you're vulnerable around them. They know the version of you that you want them to know. And they, and you know, the version of them that they want you to know. And mm-hmm. you can't, you're not going to have a really deep, meaningful relationship based on surface level understanding of one another. Mm-hmm. And that's why vulnerability is so important. And the other reason is vulnerability starts with self. So you have to be truthful with yourself first and say, you know, I haven't been putting in nearly as much work as I know I should, or I haven't been around my family as much as I need to be, or I really haven't been taking care of my health lately. That sucks. That's a feeling that sucks really bad, but that vulnerability is required. That truth is required so you can then make a change. And I think most of us have probably been told, have felt, or experienced that vulnerability is weakness. Mm -hmm. But by definition, vulnerability is hard. The reason a lot of us don't do it is because it's hard. It requires strength to do something hard. So I think it's quite the opposite. Vulnerability is a superpower. Vulnerability is a connector. Vulnerability is a uniqueness if you can practice it. And as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, now more than ever, your team, the people working on the mission with you, they are looking to someone who is vulnerable. They're not always looking for someone who has all, all the answers. Sometimes they want someone who's willing to say, look, I don't know what the hell to do. I don't know. I'm not sure. Anybody else have any ideas? We ask Alan this when he comes on. How many times does somebody cry during our bi-weekly team calls? <laughs> ask him that. Got it. I'll definitely I'll keep that in mind for sure. And we'll definitely ask that in the episode. I will, we'll make a note briefly. But basically... Uh, I love what you said there in the sense that being vulnerability, I think especially, you know, people can a lot of times consider it as a weakness. Um, but I think it's hard because a lot of times it's the hardest thing to do is look at yourself in the mirror and ask, you know, what am I lacking in my life? What am I this? Because I think we have a natural tendency, especially with social media and, you know, everything being so public these days is to seem like we're all these like macho people. We have like everything figured out. But I'm telling everyone, even the people at the top are like people that seem like they're living really wealthy lives. Like everyone's got their issues. Like they're, they're, they're just not publishing them. So I do think it is one of the toughest things to do. But one of the best things you could do is kind of take a moment and pause and really be honest with yourself. Because I think also when someone says they're being vulnerable, uh, but realistically, they, they think about vulnerability for a minute. They're like, OK, I'll do this, this and that. Like, you no, know, like forget everything. Like take 10 minutes, pause, really think about the, the areas that you're lacking and be like, OK. That's what I got to improve on. You might not know exactly how to, but be like, I'm committed to figuring it out. So definitely, definitely agree with you on there. Definitely an area I'm personally looking to grow in, and I'm sure a lot of people are, but a beautiful topic on there, kind of um, on the note of vulnerability, you mentioned that, you know, as you're building this thing, you were kind of figuring the stuff out, but would love to know where you originally got the idea for Next Level University, which is uh, the name of your podcast. (laughs) I, so I had a job in 2017, uh, 2016. And I worked in an industry called weatherization. So we would go into large buildings and it was our job to make them more energy efficient. That year, 2016 was the busiest year that company had ever had. And I spent 10 months living on the road because most of our contracts were in other states. Mm -hmm. Got to the end of the year. My goal was to make $100,000 at 26 with no college degree. And I did. And I, I ended up making that money. I opened my final pay stub of the year. 
And I remember expecting to feel one way. I expected to feel confident and certain, and I expected all the internal stuff to work, and it didn't. And I thought to myself, this entire year, I have lived unconsciously. Mm -hmm. The opposite of unconscious is hyperconscious. Long before Next Level University was a thing, there was a podcast called the Hyperconscious Podcast. And that was where all this started for me. So I started by myself in 2017. Mm -hmm. And then Alan and I partnered in 2018. And then I think 2019, one of our mentors and, and now friends, Evan Carmichael, said, you guys are really good and you're great podcasters, but nobody knows what the hell hyperconscious means. You need to change the name. Mm -hmm. And I was like, not going to happen ever. Will never happen. Not happening. This is my baby. And then we were thinking to ourselves, Evan Carmichael is a very successful person. So he probably has okay, insight. Yeah. He knows what he's talking about. So we tried to figure out what, yeah, what's the new brand? And we were saying next level a lot. That workout was next level. That pizza was next level. And we're trying to build, build an online campus. So what is an online campus? It's a university. All right, let's go with next level university. And I think that was 2019. And then since then, we've been off to the races. That's awesome. I love, I love the name of it too. It definitely uh, really easier to resonate. Honestly, easier, <laughs> but definitely easy to resonate with. So yeah. best of luck with that. And, you know, continue you. success with the episodes. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, there's probably a lot of people out there struggling with, you know, various issues, like we said earlier, relationship, maybe business, maybe life, maybe financial. If you had any one piece of advice for those, for those people who are kind of struggling out there, what would it be? It's not a coincidence that for many of us, the thing that we're struggling the most is the thing that we've studied the least. So mm -hmm. if you haven't studied it, it most likely is a problem that's not going to fix itself. Become focused on the problems. Well, I'd say this. Understand what the problem is and then become very focused on the solution to the problem. And that usually comes with, with studying. A lot of the people who have a lot of money have studied money. Some mm -hmm. of the people who have really fulfilling relationships have studied relationships. I've studied speaking a lot, so that's why I'm a stronger speaker than I used to be. Mm -hmm. I've studied relationships a lot. That's why I can be a, a hopefully quality partner to my wife. So study the weaknesses. They mm -hmm. are most likely not going to become strengths by accident. Definitely. I think that goes with, uh, you know, be vulnerable. You know, I think that's the first step. And then, you know, once you know your vulnerabilities, start working on them, start studying them. As hard as it is, as hard as it is get started. Um, you know, this may not be the most perfect quote, but I think it's always the hardest in the beginning because, you know, we all suck in the beginning and then we'll slowly, slowly get better. I think it's hard for people to see that, but uh, definitely something I think people can improve on over time. Uh, one of my one of my favorite quotes, Daniel, just to add to that, sure. from date from day to day, progress is invisible. From year to year, progress is impossible to miss. So yeah, in the beginning, you suck and you do not expect to get any better. Mm -hmm. But when you look back after doing it a year and you say, "Wow, that first episode was garbage. Wow, yeah. we've come a long way." That's a really good place to be. But you got to keep going. It really is. Who is willing to suck the longest? Mm -hmm. or feel like you suck the longest. And then eventually one day you wake up and you look back and you say, I cannot believe I've done 30 episodes or 500 episodes or whatever, coaching calls, business proposals, whatever it may be. You need perspective. Growth requires perspective. You don't know you're growing unless you have a, a set point to look from. You know, there's a book that I read, I uh, think in Grow Rich, I think by Napoleon mm -hmm. Hill, it's probably a common book kind of within mm -hmm. people looking to kind of better their lives or the self-improvement space. Um, but one of the, the main topics of the book is that like success is very mysterious. Like it'll just show up one day, but you just have to kind of keep your head down and trust that one day it'll come. So definitely resonate with what you said there and agree with your point on that. Uh, on another note, you know, 
as we've mentioned, people struggle. Do you think it's possible that someone can achieve success in their life without struggling? Or do you think that inherent struggle is part of everyone's success story? I think resistance is required for growth. So if you're, the level of your struggle is directly connected to the level of your goals. Mm-hmm. If you want to climb Mount Everest, you're going to have to struggle more than someone who wants to make it to the top of the jungle gym. Mm-hmm. Just, just as an example. Yeah, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's avoidable because life and adversity is coming for all of us. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have struggles that I don't even choose. I've chosen a lot of my struggles based on the business, and that's great. That's privileged pressure, but I'm going to get some stuff that I don't want for sure. I would say it is directly connected to the size of your goals. Where I think a lot of us get misled is someone later in life will say, you know, I really wish I wouldn't have worried as much. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm, I know what you're saying because you made it, but I wonder if you stopped worrying 15 years in, if you ever would have got to the point you are today where you're able to give the advice that you wouldn't have worried so much. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very, it's a very, very dangerous game. There is, you know, Alex Ramosi. You know who Alex Ramosi is? I do, yeah. He's the, the big sales guy, $100 million leads. Where's that like yeah, yeah. thing, big muscle dude? Yeah, yeah he's, he's jacked. He had, a, he had a really good post recently where he said, people work for 15, 20, 25 years just grinding away, doing the right stuff, doing the fundamentals. And then when people ask them how they made it, they say, well, it was my morning routine. It was my meditation. It was the, the ice bath. It was this and this and this. And it's like, no, no, no. You forgot what made it. It was the 25 years of you doing the same thing every day when you didn't want to do it. I think that's a good example of the struggle that most of us are probably going to face. But I do think it's dependent. If you just want to start a podcast, not going to be that much of a struggle. You got to figure out how to do it, get the equipment, overcome the fear of seeing your face on camera and hearing your voice. You're off to the races. If you want to get to 100 episodes, you're going to have more struggles. If you want to turn it into a business, you're going to have more struggles. And then I think it just kind of compounds or multiplies from there. Definitely. I think a fair point too. I think that the biggest thing um, that you mentioned earlier that really resonates, I think when people looking back on their life, so people who are retired and have regrets or biggest regrets of people who are dying, they say, I wish I would have worried less. I wish I would have done this. I think high level, it's in good faith because I think they just, what they want to do at that point is just pass on to the next generation their advice. Um, But realistically, I I agree with what you said earlier in the sense that if they didn't worry about certain things, maybe there were some some places that they shouldn't have stressed about at all. You know, we're humans, we're emotional, that happens. But if they didn't worry about some business things, I don't know if they would have gotten to where they are. So I definitely agree with you in the sense that I think a little bit of struggle is necessary to succeed for sure. Yeah. On the other note, uh, just a funny thing, you mentioned climbing Mount Everest. I just wanted to mention, so my last guest, Jennifer Drummond, she actually climbed Mount Everest. So I think just a really funny pun that you brought that up. My goodness. Alan said something. There's only been like, what is it, 6,000 people or something? It's like 0.000004% of the population mm-hmm. has climbed Mount Everest. So that's wild. Yeah, it's it's nuts. I asked her I asked her a bit about it on the show, and she basically said that the way that you do it, so you have like Mount Everest, the whole mountain, but it basically takes like, I think a month and a half, two months to do the whole thing. Cause you basically go up once to the point of failure, come back down, let your body like gain more oxygen. And then you pretty much keep doing that until like you have the final climb and then, you know, you just kind of do it. So terrifying. Not, not, not for me. me. Maybe, maybe on the bucket list one day, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll let it, we'll let it stay on there for now, but definitely something to think about. Uh, on another note, if, you know, God forbid, you lost it all, everything that you've built, which I hope doesn't happen. What you're doing is great and wish you the best. But if unfortunately that were to happen, how do you, how would you start over or kind of build yourself back up again? I would start a podcast for sure. 
here's the here's the thing. So this it's great. It's a great question. I love it. I have a lot of perception now when it comes to podcasting, so it wouldn't be nearly as hard. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing is at this point, I've done 1,500 episodes. I've been on 700 other shows. I've grown our show. I've helped other shows grow. So that my resume would exist. I might lose all the results, but the resume never really goes away. So mm-hmm. I would just do the same thing. I would set up the studio. I would start recording podcast episodes. I'd break it up into micro content. I'd share it on social media. I'd reach out to people to get on podcasts. And I would just do the same exact stuff I'm doing today. And here's the here's the the funny piece about that. It wouldn't take nearly as long as it did to get to where we are because I have a lot of the answers that I didn't before. So it might sound like it's kind of a cliche answer, but I would do the same exact thing I'm doing today. It would probably just not take as long to get here, hopefully. You know, I love I love that that you brought that up because I think two main takeaways from that. One, I think a lot of people are scared of doing their own thing, being a podcaster business or something else. But I think that the people what people don't realize is they think of a win-lose mentality, but realistically it's win or learn. So even if God forbid something doesn't work out, you learn a ton. And you, you know, like you said earlier, that resume always stays. And whether you apply that to kind of working for someone else in the future or kind of starting your own thing again, like you have that resume in the back. So even if something didn't go wrong, you learn why, why it didn't go right. And then you kind of pursue it in the future. And the other big topic that, or the other big takeaway that I took from that is, it's really how an executive thinks. I think a lot of times, maybe in corporate America, executives get bad reps, but specifically for say like a startup, you know, where there's employee number one, and then, you know, he grew it to like 50, 60 employees. And then sometimes I don't know, I hate calling it the bottom of the food chain, but like entry level employees, if they come in, they might be like, oh, like the executive doesn't do what we do, what they do. The reality is, and we'd love to hear your perspective on this. It's because the work that it takes someone at the entry level to do eight hours, the executive could do in an hour, two hours and do it ridiculously efficiently. (laughs) Or the executive is at the point where they are so focused on the the 20% of their time that gets them 80% of the results that they don't do a lot of the stuff that they used to. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing, right? There's certain things. There's only currently one other person in our business that's going to do this and it's Alan. And you're having mm-hmm. Alan on, so that's great. Yep. But there's nobody else on the team that's out doing podcast interviews like we are. This is the most valuable use of my time right now. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. It's fun, and it looks like entertainment, and I enjoy doing it, so it doesn't really seem like work. But there are things in the business that only certain people can do at the highest level. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, a, that's another important thing. And eventually, you get to the place where you've got you, you to do a lot of the stuff that you did to get to where you are forever. Mm-hmm. And then there's some stuff that you stop doing and it's like, okay, that season is over or somebody else would be better in that position or I have to go focus on something else. So it really depends on the size of the business, the growth of the business. And then if you're breaking your units of time into hours, where is the most valuable use of those hours for you now versus where they might've been in the beginning? Definitely for sure. Can resonate with that hundred percent. Um, on another note regarding purpose and kind of people looking to start out, and as something that we mentioned earlier, what, what advice would you have someone who's struggling to find their purpose, or how do you think someone can go about finding their purpose in life? One of the questions, one of the great questions to ask is, what would I find you talking about on a Friday night with your friends? Mm-hmm. And this is why vulnerability is so important. What, like, what would you really be talking about? If you were leading the charge in the conversation and you were standing up and you were sweating because you were so excited about what you were talking about, what would that thing be? Mm-hmm. What, what is something that upsets you so deeply that you cannot move forward without expressing and or influencing? So mm-hmm. 
Alan's uh, partner, Emilia, went to the Great Barrier Reef. She found out the Great Barrier Reef is much more the Great Barrier Cemetery. That influenced the way she interacts with nature forever. She's got, mm -hmm. a, she got a Prius. Now she has a Tesla. She recycles. She, is, she picks up litter. That became part of her purpose to leave the planet a better place than she found it. So there, what really causes you a lot of pain? Those are two really good questions. What I like to do, I like to pivot it a little bit and say, I believe many of us understand what our purpose is. Mm -hmm. Our purpose for many of us is to be the type of person that we needed. It's to help other people solve the problem that took us so long to solve for ourselves. Usually it's to help a certain person, place, thing, idea in a certain way to improve. I think where a lot of us get lost is the vehicle. Mm -hmm. The purpose, I've always had a purpose to help people. I love helping people. I used to coach people when I was a captain of the baseball team. We used to do the, the youth camps. Loved it. I used to coach people on relationships through Snapchat long before I knew what the hell I was talking about. Loved it. I never knew what the vehicle was going to be. But mm -hmm. that's why when I found podcasting, a light bulb went off. If I could do that every day for the rest of my life, everything would be amazing. The purpose is to add value. The purpose is to facilitate change. The vehicle is how do you do it sustainably and turn a profit? Mm -hmm. And this would be the last thing I would say, just connecting that. If I gave you a billion dollars tomorrow and you mm -hmm. never had to worry about money again, but you had to do something in the service of others, the planet, humanity, positivity, what would it be? There's a thought in there that it might be your purpose. If you would say, I would go to every beach in the world and clean up the litter. Okay. Now, what if you could do that and make money doing it? You kind of just fulfilled your own prophecy with that. So that's, mm -hmm. that's a question I like to ask as well. I think that's a great exercise too, for sure. Because I think a lot of times people think, you know, having a billion dollars will solve their issues. But realistically, and I think you would agree with this too, if you, know, you were just to give someone a billion dollars and they just straight up didn't want to work, they'd get depressed. Because I think if you're not adding some kind of value to society or not doing something, you don't have a purpose. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, 100%. Yeah, 100%. For sure. There's a reason lottery winners, they either lose all the money and end up worse off than they were before. I don't know what the, the suicide rate of lottery winners is, but I, I think I read somewhere that it's pretty high. So I, I would I would be willing to suggest that there's probably something that goes to that. It, it's not purposeful to get a ton of money without putting any effort in or facilitating any change. So mm -hmm. yeah, I would agree with that. There's a, there's a point I want to make. Uh, so I happen to be Jewish, but just like an interesting idea, um, you know, my perspective, I have like my beliefs, but I'm always open for a dialogue, whatever. But uh, an interesting, you know, theme that there is, I think that if people get money or if people get like, they call it Parnassah in Judaism, but if people basically get money without the blessing, without the hard work, it's a curse. Mm -hmm. So not to kind of draw too many comparisons between like religion and practicality. Um, but the reason I wanted to bring that up is because, you know, if you see someone who has a billion dollars and they worked for it, that person's going to be infinitely happier than like some random lottery winner, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, and you have the skills. There's a big difference between getting a million or a billion or a trillion or a gazillion dollars and being the type of person who is capable of getting and sustaining. Mm -hmm. Those are drastically different humans with mm -hmm. drastically different skill sets, with drastically different confidences. So I think it, I think it ends up putting you in the category that I, I was in in my mid-20s where everybody thought I was a certain thing because of the results I had, but I knew I was a certain thing because of the way I felt. That delta, the difference, the contrast between those two 
I think that's a dangerous game. So I very much would agree. Yep, for sure. Um, you know, some fun things to ask, and I think you'll really enjoy these, these questions. But okay. if, if you could go back to your your ten year old self, Kevin. So say, for example, right now you'd be talking to you see a little ten year old Kevin. What <laughs> advice would you give him, and why? I would probably tell him to hang on to as many memories as he has from this time. Because when you get older, these are the times you're going to look back on and, and you're going to say life was so much simpler back then. That's, mm-hmm. that's probably as much as I would like to say, yeah, I would tell him to read books. 10-year-old Kev was not going to read any books. So it would be hang on to the memories you have because these are, these are some of the best, most simple times in your life. Like run around, play catch, have a hamburger, yeah. carefree. Yeah, yeah. Be a kid. Be a kid. Yeah. Those are the vibes for sure. Uh, if you could have dinner with anyone in history, dead or alive, who would it be? Eminem. I don't necessarily, I don't aspire to have the character, mm-hmm. but I would love to say, dude, why didn't you just quit? Like, why didn't you just quit? You had so many opportunities to quit. Why didn't you? And what does it feel like to be one of the best ever to do what you do? I think I think that's a really valid answer. Selfishly, I'd ask him how he looks like, you know, 30 when he's like 50 something years old. <laughs> that's that's also fair. That's a, that's a good answer. A, a good question. A good question. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another thing you mentioned is that, you know, maybe alluded to is that now you might maybe reading books. Is there a favorite book that you've read recently and why? My goodness. I am currently listening to. It is one of the Phil M. Jones book. I think it's exactly how to sell. So I'm very big in the in in our company. I'm very big into the sales. I'm now the the CSO. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Phil M. Jones is one of the best sales trainers, one of the best speakers. We were lucky enough to interview him a while ago. So it's I think it's called Exactly How to Sell by Phil M. Jones. That is what I'm reading now. But if you said to me what is one of the books that has made the biggest change for you, it would probably be Mindset by Carol Dweck. That was one of the best books for me. I didn't realize how fixed of a mindset I had. That helped me adopt more of a growth mindset. Got it. Awesome. Appreciate that note on some literature there. Of course. What would you say brings you the most happiness in life? Hmm. Probably happiness. See, this is where I get handcuffed because I I create my own definition of happiness. So I got to make sure I stay with it. It's all good. Probably when I get off an interview and... So I get off the interview, I shut off my lights, I take my headphones off, and I say, wow, that was a really good person. Mm-hmm. Or like, wow, what a good human. My wife hears me, I'm sure she hears me say that all the time. I'll, I'll do that after this interview. I appreciate just it. To my, just to myself, it's not, mm-hmm. it's for no reason other than, oh my goodness, I can't believe I just get to do this. Mm-hmm. That's what brings me the most happiness. The most fulfillment is when I get to the end of a day and it's like, I don't know how I survived that, but I feel like I grew a ton. Today will be one of those days. It's 5 a.m. to 7 p.m., pretty mm-hmm. much straight through. It's challenging. It sucks. It's brutal. But when I get to the end, it's like I'm really fulfilled with everything that I did and all the stuff that I put out there today. No, best of luck with that, man. I hope uh, this hour has been – I've made it a little easier on you. You so have. You have. I'm grateful. On that note, you know, you're up to a lot of really cool stuff. You know, it's been an absolute blast talking is there any final piece of advice you have for anyone, whether it's life advice, relationship advice, business advice, podcast advice, final words? Oh, yours, man. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, I think it could be considered advice. The biggest difference between who you are today and who you want to be eventually is your habits. Mm-hmm. So if you can just adopt one 
new habit or if you can shift a potentially bad habit to a better one, track your finances, exercise for 30 minutes, play the gratitude game with your partner before you go to bed. Those things seem small. They seem unimportant, but they add up. That would be a really, really big one. And then just because you mentioned relationships, one of the, the best questions for me that's helped me and my wife in our relationship, when somebody comes to you with something, if they're venting to you, just say, are you looking for strategy or are you looking for support? So are you looking for me to help you solve your problems or are you just, do you just want to vent? Mm -hmm. That has saved many people from having arguments when you don't need to have arguments. Definitely me and my relationship as well. Got it. Well, that's an awesome final word. And Kevin, best of luck uh, with the rest of the day. And thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me, my man. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Kevin Palmieri. If you enjoyed the episode, rate the show on Spotify, drop a comment on YouTube, and subscribe.